0: Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Catherine. Lost you there. Right, morning, saints and sinners. <laughs> my name is Ian Beattie, and I'm thrilled to be up here to talk today. No PowerPoint today, partly because I thought I was putting... As I started to do it, I felt I was putting too much emphasis on the slides, um, and they weren't really necessary, and partly because my laptop stopped working somewhere in Canada, in a way. But, no, seriously... Um, you don't really need any slides for this. I think we just need the Bible and to, and to think. And Steve has already shown you pictures of Ephesus, or rather, um, the Temple of Artemis or Diana or whatever, already and done the introduction to the series. So um, if you missed that, it's on the website, or you can go and Google Temple of Artemis, Diana, one of the wonders of the ancient world um, and probably quite a big problem for... Paul and then Timothy while they were there. This, remember, is where Paul and Timothy got in so much trouble and the silversmiths rioted and everything else. So it was quite a tough city. So with that, I'm just going to read straight from here. This is 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him, as if he were with your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives her pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ... They want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they got into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of church well are worthy of double honour, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder and let be brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. Even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. You can see why I had trouble finding someone to volunteer to read that, can't you? (laughs) Okay, now for me, this passage is about love and respect lived out in practice, in the church family, in a difficult cultural context that Steve's already talked about. It's about how the members of the church, that's you, should demonstrate love and respect for one another, even on difficult issues in a difficult culture. It's practical, pragmatic. It's love and also truth. Loving and invitational, but also challenging. It's about supporting others and supporting yourself and your relatives And your own responsibilities. It's all about how we take care of the church family. Love but practical love. In the mess of the real world. So context as we know. If you listen to many people up here. It's all about context isn't it? Especially when we're into the letters of Paul. And some think this letter may actually be a a collection of other letters or instructions from Paul um, or it may actually have been written by um, either Luke or Thomas or maybe while Paul is in prison. There's a number of different theories on this. But it's basically trying to expand the gospel in the context of the issues of the day. They're trying to say, what would Jesus do? with these practical issues, these thorny problems. And it is also at a crossroads here. This is a crossroads between Eastern culture, and Eastern, the religion, as it were, the the faith that's come from the East with the Western Hellenistic uh, culture and philosophy of Europe. And this is where they're crossing over. So guess what? It gets complicated, it gets confusing. the language is um, getting more nuanced, and all the time, our faith is moving into Western civilization and changing it. And the way it communicates is changing as a result. And this, what they're dealing with, is probably this is the importance of this chapter is that they're dealing with the important moral debates of the day and some of the important logistical, economic almost, welfare issues of the day as well. And so they're asking, if, if Paul was here now, what is he saying? If Jesus was here, how would he help us deal with this? Although that reminds me of the joke about a child, two children in the queue for some food at school and one's on crutches so teacher says to the first one who's not on crutches can you help your friend johnny on crutches and carries food for him and he goes well i could but i'd rather not so the teacher says well what would jesus do and the kid without crutches says well he'd heal him and then he could carry his own food (laughs) this is something we can apply ourselves well not where you can do that if you can do that fantastic let's pray and get Jesus to do that but there is something we can ask ourselves on these issues that they're dealing with there are are modern ethical and moral dilemmas thrown up in today's society and we have to think where we should be in the debates and I think as you read this the answer is fairly clear and I think the gospel is fairly clear that it's about love. But it works both ways. Love and responsibility. Pragmatic, responsible love. And some of us are probably better at one half of that than the other, in my experience. But that's probably another, uh, a talk for another day. So here is, a, here is a guide for Timothy to use in his teaching of the relatively new Christian church, relatively in the Greek world so if you've still got your Bibles with you or you can open the app or whatever I'm going to refer to different parts of the passage as we go through but I'm going to try and keep it fairly pacey. first up exhort encourage, do not rebuke or be harsh with the older man treat younger men as brothers and similarly with older women should be treated as mothers and younger women as sisters. Purity, purity again, love, pure love. This language can be difficult for those of us who've had uh, difficult relationships with our family, dysfunctional families, odd families, neglect or even abuse. But when the family works as God intended, it is a fantastic grouping that promotes survival and even success. But I know that will be difficult language for some of us. Now, back to this message. There are many good practical reasons for being extra careful with the elder church family, exhorting rather than rebuking. It shows respect, also guards the person, Thomas, against maybe arrogance. It is closer to love and better pastoral care and we need to ask ourselves, do we act like that? Or are we haughty, arrogant, and uncaring? Because what is going on here? Paul is talking to Timothy about how to challenge these people. This, this is, oh, there are problems here. This is your guidebook when there are problems. So obviously there's some challenging of some behaviours or some beliefs going on. And this is your little hints and tips about how to deal with it. It's not when it's all going well, right? So it's not, not going to be easy. Remember, Timothy is relatively young. So this is probably a big part of you know, how, how are people are going to accept his message. The same with the other members listed. So how do you do this? How do you behave to people in the church family, both here at NBC and broader? How do you behave with the broader contemporary society, with the contemporary issues, on social media? How do you affect others? it's one thing to be bashing out messages, it's another one to be receiving them. And it's even harder for feedback. Do you disagree well? Do you teach well? Just one thing when we talk about this, when we talk about the different genders here, we must remember that Jesus elevated women to equals, which was a huge shock culturally to this world that we're talking about. <coughs> Widows again a little bit of context in this era if you were widowed it was a complete disaster and a devastation for many it isn't just the obvious bereavement and the grief but the loss probably in many cases of income there was a dull payment of grain in Roman areas from the state a little bit of grain but that was about it and if you weren't in that area there'd be nothing so we know that the Christian church, we saw this in Acts, knew it had to step in. And this led to the first organisations. This is why the church started organising itself. Splitting teachers from people on or more administrative functions. Um, and you have the deacons, elders, supporting pastors and bishops and so on. And here is more pragmatism. Just as today, in terms of giving resources, money, not all widows are the same. We should still support them with respect to their bereavement. But if you have a widow on a nice inflation proof pension, she's probably better off than many others and will still be contributing to the church, as I'm sure many of you are. This widow's in need, contrasting to those not in need, recognizes that the resources in practical terms, are not infinite. Not yet, anyway. So this is about encouraging individual responsibility and a sense of community as well. Not one or the other, but both. Helping those who really need it, not those who maybe should be helping others and who could and should be re-engaging in community. The comment here about the children of widows looking after them, might make some of us squirm. The charity begins at home, not as an excuse to give less, but actually to give more, to do more. And we as a society have outsourced much of this welfare to the state, haven't we? Or to other big institutions. And this is progress, this is good, this is not a bad thing, necessarily. It uses the scale advantage. It uses um, the law of large numbers. It's much more efficient. And that's after all what the church was doing here. But have we outsourced our compassion as well? Have we outsourced the the necessity for our love? Maybe we need to offer other support. Maybe it is money, but maybe it is other time and effort and love as well. But for many, it will simply be money. The state pension is now woeful. We know with the energy bill shock. And many of us live a long way away from our relatives now. So that's the, and another question to ask ourselves. Are our priorities correct? Are you looking after your own? The Bible is very clear here. Children and grandchildren are responsible to be finding the love and invitation and the challenge here. Verse four is positive. Positive description. Anyone caring for your parents, grandparents is pleasing to God. Verse eight. Is a warning. Anyone who does not care for their relatives has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The church then has more resources to look after the less fortunate. They're very pragmatic, very administrative. Remember, throughout the Bible, God cares for widows. The Bible repeats this many times as it does to remind us to care for the most vulnerable members of society. The fatherless, the immigrants, the poor. God has compassion, and the church is to demonstrate that compassion. In fact, widows are mentioned 56 times in the Bible. You've got to have some of these stats in these sermons, have not you? I think it's the rules. 26 times in the New Testament alone, according to my search. Now, the tricky bit, this business about not taking in younger widows is, of course, is, again, we've got to put that in context. Because when you, they did this, when they did take on the widows, the widows would kind of um, take an oath to serve as a result. It's not quite like being a nun, but it's a similar gist. They're then dedicating their lives, their, their vocation, as it were, to the church. So if you can imagine, if you did put a younger person in this situation you could be setting yourself up to fail. You could be putting them in a very difficult position if they then met somebody else because they'd already promised to do this thing. So um, for you more pastorally-minded people out there, I imagine this is very tough. For the hard-bitten systems people and business types, wherever they are, it's probably a very sensible process. We're called to do both. The elders, on verse 17 onwards. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially the preachers and teachers. I'm just reading it. It's in the Bible. I'm not sure it mentioned anything about the worship team. Just mentioning that. So it says here we should pay our pastors, basically. That's what this is getting at. The church is getting organised and there appears to be a debate. This is saying, pay them. Pay them so they can concentrate more on this. So it's not an employment as such, but it is a, um, helping them dedicate more time and not feeling um, pulled in too many different directions. It's bringing godly wisdom to a contemporary issue there. Accusations against elders... Very sad, but it shows it's not a new phenomenon, doesn't it? In fact, there is something we can learn here. When elders are caught sinning, they are to be reproved publicly. Not hidden or hushed up. If only the church and other institutions had followed this part of scripture. Yeah. Other advice here, don't be hasty in appointing elders. Don't show favoritism. So be sure to appoint the, pure, the ones who live out their faith practically. Check them out first. We might say, do your due diligence. There's no rush, no surprises here. But it's amazing how people skip the obvious steps or hurry them. Then there's advice on looking after yourself. Timothy seems to be poorly, doesn't he? He seems to be a bit unwell sometimes. Um, Note here, of course, that for all the miracles Paul did and the others... um, the early church when they co-worked with God on miracles and healings they didn't heal Timothy or Paul either for that matter and wine is okay, I like that bit <laughs> safer than the local water maybe is the obvious practical consideration because that would have been an issue um, but may also be demonstrating maybe this is speculation that the sort of ultra purity ultra asceticism I can't pronounce that, <coughs> ascetism possibly being weaponized by their opponents is unnecessary, distracting, or worse. And then it says here, sin will reach the place of judgment, as will good deeds, which, of course, we should know, but just a reminder. So just to return to where we started, what is the point, other than the list of guidelines for the early church, I think it is the practical application of love, the responsibilities required from the leadership, from the members, from us as individuals, from the widows even, from the beneficiaries, from all of us to show some leadership. I think it takes the form of, we have these issues here today in this city, tricky contemporary issues, we face here as Christianity rolls out into the Greek western civilization into the Roman Empire and asks how should we deal with them moral issues thrown up by practical problems and this is something we can ask ourselves on other issues as well of course this is the same approach we can follow the modern today ethical and moral dilemmas thrown up in today's society so um, I was going to say do as Carl Barth is reported to have said and you know, read the newspaper and read the Bible if any of you remember newspapers and use the Bible to interpret the newspaper but even more relevant for some of us is to do that with Twitter and Facebook and So on. Are you acting like Jesus would on social media? Where should we be in the modern debates? And that's where I think showing practical, pragmatic, responsible love. And where does love come from? God. God is love. God is the source. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. And it works both ways, love and responsibility. So let's think, are you supporting those closest to you that need it? Or are you leaving it to someone else? The sibling, the church, the state. Are you doing your bit? Are you helping the lonely the widow, the traumatised who are not being looked after or anyone else ignored by society, left behind? Do you treat others with respect? Are you respectful to others in the church family even those older or younger? Even when you disagree with them because that's probably what this is about. do you contribute where you can so I just want to want you to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you about this passage what is this passage telling you in its themes about love, respect, contribution church family widows about scripture and the challenges of the world today can you think about that please The next bit of scripture, if we can, please. 1 John 4, 7 to 12. Let's read that. Um, Just read it. I'll I'll read it out. You can just um, read along with it in your Bibles. And then maybe we'll pray about it. Almost read this as a prayer. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. It's up on the screen. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God whoever does not love does not know God because God is love this is how God showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is not love sorry this is love Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another and God lives in us, his love is made complete in us. And it's not going to be on the screen, but 1 John 4 second part of verse 16 God is love whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them but as that rest of Timothy showed us it is about doing it is about being practical as well it is about living it So I just want you to spend a moment in prayer and asking yourself, what are you going to do about it?